especially with like the trend of those giant shakes where they add a bunch of ice cream and then they add donuts on top and brownies and sprinkles and cereal modern abstract design it's disgusting (laughs) it's gross it's excessive i don't understand it it is so funny that you bring that up because we were talking about it at work the other day Mm -hmm. where i was just like Normally, I have a righteous fury for people who are going to, like, hop on the bandwagon and be like, millennials are doing this wrong, millennials are doing oh this gosh. wrong. But, like, millennials, seriously, knock it off. Knock it off, yeah. Knock it off with these stupid shakes <laughs> that have, like, full-sized pastries on top. Really, though? Like, pick a dessert. <laughs> <laughs> well, as millennials, we do um, have to do a podcast. I mean... That is what millennials do, right? I know. It's very quintessential. If you're between the ages of like 22 and 35, you have to do a podcast. Mm -hmm. So shall we get around to doing ours? Yep. Okay, let's do it. Today, we have a guest with us. Everybody say hello to Michael. Hi, bud. <laughs> hello, back. We, we have talked about him, and now we have proof that he does exist. Oh, yes. Uh, unless we hired an actor, which I don't think we did. Do you remember hiring an actor for this? No, I am like, I saw him close the door into the next room, and unless he like jumped out the window, and I don't know, I, I'm, I'm fairly certain it's him. <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> So thank you for joining us today, Michael. We're really excited. Um, We are coming around uh, back to our roots 19 (laughs) episodes later, and we're going to talk about music again. Yeah. Uh, And specifically one uh, artist. Would you like to tell us who you're going to talk about today? (laughs) Yeah, of course. Um, Carmen knows he's uh, been a big inspiration to my own music and just pretty much my favorite all-around artist for a long time. Um, His name is Sufjan Stevens. Okay, good. I'm glad that you said Sufjan Stevens because I was actually kind of like... uh, my stupid anxiety brain was like, what if he <laughs> says someone else? Uh, I'm not prepared for oh, this. Oh, no. No. And no. It's, it should be noted that his name is spelled really oddly, um, yeah. S-U-F-J-A-N. Yes. It's, mm. And it's pronounced Sufjan. And actually, listening to him, him for like five years until I met Michael, or, you know, I eventually figured it out. But I always pronounced it Sufjan. <laughs> mm. No, everyone does. And actually... I'm still not even sure if it's Sufjan. Like in interviews, I'm people call him Sufjan. It, it seems to be Sufjan. <laughs> like that's the most common pronunciation. On uh, yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, so, he's a cool guy. Here's, here's hoping that we don't just completely crash and burn right. this. <laughs> yeah, no, I think just we'll be like, okay. 
we tried to we tried to take off and we couldn't even pronounce his name right and so it just never got off the ground uh, you know Bear i'm pretty us. sure sufyan would be among the many who would forgive you for that yeah, it's just probably. A, it's a weird name it's oh, not that's a, name. a relief i do have to admit that i have to google his name every single time i need to spell it out because i keep on adding <laughs> not quite sure yeah extra letters in it there it should be like s u f y h a n or something but q uh, q <laughs> i'll add i'll add like two or three eyes in there um, just like suifian yes um it's that actually it is right. an interesting name it's uh it's an old arabic name that apparently predates islam it means comes with a sword <laughs> what that is that's so awesome. cool that's so specific <laughs> I mean, that was the first thing you find out about him when on the Wikipedia page. Oh, <laughs> I guess I most people go there for his name. <laughs> um, find out what's up with that. But no, he's a he's a really interesting guy. Um, and I could uh, I don't know I, I really I really am into this uh, guy's music and his process. So you guys will have to stop me if I <laughs> if I go overboard. No, and it's fine because like I remember my Kanye episode. I got really I got really. Um, really specific and in depth because it got so interesting um but yeah, yeah i mean we'll we'll interject with questions and stuff yeah. and uh um yeah. but uh first off um if people don't really know who he is he was most recently nominated for an oscar for best original song in the most recent academy awards mm-hmm. um how yeah i mean i don't really know why i brought that up i just want people to oh, have no, like it's... a small little I think it's cool that you brought that up because for a long time he was sort of a musician's musician. Um, I say that meaning that he inspired um, a lot of other artists, but he never really found a lot of mainstream traction himself and sure. until recently. His last album and that Oscar nomination have kind of brought him more into into mainstream folk and alternative folk. <laughs> yeah, and it's cute. Mm-hmm. You uh, you told me about his reaction when he didn't win. <laughs> he About, looked very yeah. relieved. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, didn't have to get up and, and say anything. He broke into a, yeah, he broke into a big grin. <laughs> Just looked really relieved. I, I don't know. I'm uh, I'm one of the... Uh, <laughs> pardon the French. Edit this out if you need to. I'm one of the circle jerkers on the R. Sufjan uh, oh, yeah. subreddit. And uh, <laughs> that was a, a meme that was going around there. <laughs> it was pretty funny. Just the relief. Yeah, we were all oh, surprised he showed up. Hashtag relatable, right? Like, <laughs> hey, he is definitely the millennials artist, right? You know, you've got that folksy sort of sound, and then you yeah. know he he's at this huge award show and he doesn't win, and he's like, oh, thank goodness, I don't have to get up. <laughs> yeah. Well, he definitely reminds me of a lot of millennials in his. Um, you know, he wants to do new things. He doesn't. He doesn't really see a lot of value in uh, repeating musical themes or styles that have already been done he's always after something new but i mean again i feel like an exception is his more recent work which is just much more um i don't i still feel just as good but just much more accessible much less Mm -hmm. weird that's i mean that's never a bad thing so Mm, that being said is is he a millennial i actually i don't know much about him as a person yeah i'm I'm pretty sure he's north of 40 i I don't know if that's too old for millennial he's definitely on the uh yeah, I think so. I didn't miss the gap by much, but um, he's yeah, definitely influenced so, a lot of millennial artists. Oh, that's good. That's, yeah. I mean, definitely need more people who are supportive of that culture. Yeah. Yep, so tell us a little bit about yeah. uh, him and his early life. If he's not a millennial, then... What is he? When, <laughs> when and where was he born? Uh, let's see. He was born... Uh, yeah, Sufjan Stevens was born July 1st, 1975. Um, oh, okay. In the state of Michigan, 
Yeah. Uh, and he lived there with his father and his uh, stepmother. He was actually separated from his birth mother pretty early on. Uh, she had a lot of problems that um, I'll get into later. It becomes more relevant with his most recent album. Um, but yeah, he was raised by his, his father and his stepmother, and he had uh, he's kind of described the both of them as hippies <laughs> with a very <laughs> fluid idea of spirituality and, and even sexuality. Uh, like he grew up mm-hmm. uh, watching his father uh, engage in open relationships that his stepmother was like okay with. Huh. Um, yeah, one of his songs is about stumbling in on that and, and how that kind of... He hadn't known that about his father. Kind of, it kind of <laughs> changed his perception of of what uh, things are supposed to be, um, especially because the dominant uh, form of religion that was kind of shared with them, not really imposed on them, but uh, his parents tried to steer them towards Christianity, um, mostly mostly in the Methodist faith. Hmm. Um, hmm. And uh, I, I really think that kind of foundational family dynamic that was uh, at once very progressive and at once um, promoting Christian values, uh, it, it really created a very interesting uh, kind of groundwork for Sufjan to work from as, as far as exploring his own uh, spirituality and his music. Um, so I think his childhood was really important in that aspect. Um, he grew up in Michigan. He went to this Methodist summer camp that seemed to have um, cemented a lot of his own Methodist values and ideas. Oh, <clears throat> there are a few songs about that camp. There are a few songs about that camp. The most famous is uh, the Predatory Wasp of the Palisades. Is that to get us? (laughs) (laughs) Wow. The title alone is just really good. Yeah. Yeah, It's cool. He he explained it once, and, uh, and, uh, you know, everyone interprets this how they want to, and I think a lot of Sufjan fans, for some reason, wants him to be, uh, like, a gay Christian. (laughs) But um, Mm. the song details sort of like a fantastical story of how him and a him and a buddy at his Methodist summer camp snuck off somewhere to you know explore or something ended up in a cave, and uh, when they came back they told everybody that they had been driven into this cave by this giant flying monster, <laughs> um, that he described as like a giant wasp combined with like an eagle, <laughs> um, that drove him into this cave and and all it, it uh, to most people had heard that story it seemed like a way to explain the fact that he spent some um, time alone with this boy in a cave. Huh. So it's interesting. It's it's something that comes up a lot in his work, even like in Planetarium, his most recent work. He talks about that Methodist summer camp, and that's a very oh, interesting. <laughs> kind of a very sexual song. Um, mm. Anyway, he never he's never overt with that, so don't let it scare you off if it if it's kind of uncomfortable. Yeah, it comes up um, every now and then. Every yeah, it's always. I mean, one of the first things I notice about Sufjan is that there's always more than one narrative going on. So I mean, if you don't hear like the the sexual narrative, there's another probably equally as enriching or good narrative behind it. You know, like you can kind of like, you can kind of uh, dig and find some different stuff. Yeah. Yeah. The song on Planetarium that comes up and again is is called Venus, you know, uh, a god that was kind of defined a little bit by her sexuality um, and used as a symbol for, for female sexuality. So it sounds like he was destined more a little bit for like creative writing rather than songwriting. Mm. So that's interesting. He we'll get to that in a moment, but he he's, he lost a lot of time uh, trying to to write and publish a novel before he decided he needed to try to do that work through music instead. Oh, interesting. Um, mm-hmm. Well, that was that was later on because I, I'm glad you noticed this though, Audrey. His work is so 
it's so narrative. Um, it, it's it's very storytelling, but it's also storytelling through um, like very minimal and symbolic detail. Mm-hmm. Um, he kind of uses mythology and stuff to describe his own personal experiences, and and we'll get into that. Um, it's one of my favorite aspects of him as an artist. Uh, yeah, back to his childhood in Michigan, growing up in this fluid religiosity. Um, in his home life. Uh, He was really estranged from his mother, Carrie, because his mother, Carrie, had a lot of prescription pill addictions. Uh, She was an alcoholic. She suffered from schizophrenia and depression later in life. She just wasn't a good influence uh, on the children um, for obvious reasons. The only time that they got to see her was in summer trips to Oregon. Um, That's where Sufjan Stevens met his father-in-law, Lowell, who Carrie married after she left Sufjan's father. And Lowell and Sufjan actually co-founded the uh, record label Asthmatic Kitty, which has released all of Sufjan Stevens' music. <laughs> Isn't that a great record label name, Asthmatic, Asthmatic Kitty? Kitty. <laughs> <laughs> I can just, I can hear it. I can hear the Asthmatic Kitty. The logo is this little, this little kitty just kind of wheezing <laughs> with oh, a, no. a cloud of... <laughs> Anyway, Asthmatic Kitty is their record label. He co-founded it with his father-in-law. I actually didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, Lowell seemed to be a really important figure in Sufjan's life, especially, I mean, his his mother and father he grew up with in Michigan were, I mean, by some definitions, not really a mother and father in the way they handled their own relationships. Yeah. And uh, Lowell was married to his mother. His mother was schizophrenic and, and depressive and abusive. Uh, Lowell was really the one guiding figure he had in his life that wasn't <laughs> kind of out to get him in some way, or, yeah, or out geez. to confuse him, rather, if that makes sense. So yeah. I, I think it makes sense that he gravitated to Lowell. Yeah. Those all, all those experiences would definitely be responsible um, for the subject matter of most of Sufjan Stevens' forays into art. That There always seems to be a very personal tone in his music, exploring his own experiences, but through a really a lot bigger, grander visions. Um, and we're about to get into his career and his album, so hopefully that becomes... Apparent. So is Sufjan classically trained? Did he play music growing up or is it just something that he kind of had to figure out himself? Yeah, he did have classical training in music. Uh, He first went to Hope College in Holland, Michigan, where he studied music. Um, And actually at Hope College in Holland, Michigan, he was awarded the Phi Beta Kappa Chi, which is actually the highest scholastic honor possible in the U.S. Mm. Um, It's awarded to seniors who have displayed a certain aptitude and excellence um, in a broad array of undergraduate courses, uh, liberal arts and sciences. Wow. Uh, so he had a very well-rounded education, and, and that shows in his work, too. He, he always tries to tie everything he studied, music, theology, to real-world history and oh, experiences. Yeah. After graduating from Hope College uh, with honors in Michigan, he went on to get his master's degree from the New School in New York City. Cool. Cool. Yeah. I've never heard of that school before. Me neither. <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> I mean, I haven't heard of most. Like, it's new. I'm assuming it's a liberal it's college, right? <laughs> it sounds like it. A liberal yeah. arts college. Yeah. <laughs> like, anytime <laughs> I hear somebody who, like, ooh, yeah, they graduated from this college and it's really impressive. Like, you know, I kind of <laughs> subtly pull my phone out of my back pocket and I, like, this? look it up on <laughs> Wikipedia up. and I'm like, what is this place? Okay, it's a prestigious uh-huh. school. Uh-huh. I see. No, I understand. Okay. Um, yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> Wow, new school, New York City. Yeah, yeah. totally. <laughs> so um, did Sufjan always anticipate a music career? Like, was that pretty much just written in the stars for him? Did he have any other options on in front of him? Or is that just kind of what he shot for from the beginning? 
Well, it seemed like his academic work uh, moved him to try to make kind of more vast pieces of art than most people would typically think of music as being. Yeah. Um, he he found himself yeah writing novels he, he and short stories. He tried for a long time to be a novelist towards the end of his um, stint in New York. Interesting. Uh, but, did he end up publishing anything? Like, could, no. could we find anything that he did? No, he didn't. And the subject of that novel is kind of a mystery. Um, there's a good chance it had to do with a lot of the song cycles he was engaged in at the time. He was writing a lot about the solar system and the the Chinese zodiac calendar. Um, so it probably would have been something pretty mytho- uh, mythologically influenced. Um, mm-hmm. But who knows? Yeah, no one knows the answer to that question. But uh, he definitely did drop novelizations. Um, for in favor of music. He decided to pursue those bigger narratives through musical form instead. Um, and uh, I think as you'll, if you ever dip into his catalog, you'll find that it took him a while to figure out how to do that through music. Huh. Um, like something like the state history of Illinois is just, if you asked the average person how they could communicate that through an album, it's kind of tricky. It's not yeah. like having a, a novel to work with. Right. Yeah, so, I mean, that sounds like a perfect segue into his music, because he does have Mm. Illinois, or Illinois. Yeah, Um, (laughs) however you want to pronounce it. (laughs) I guess, though, it should be, like, it would be Illinois, right? Because it's clearly not spelled, like, it has an E at the end, which is in English that you pronounce the consonant before a vowel, and so I'm pretty sure it is Illinois. It's supposed to be Illinois, and actually the album... Uh, if you buy the record, what it says on the album cover is Sufjan Stevens invites you to come on, feel the Illinois. Mm-hmm. Oh, fun. So, <laughs> um, it's a good but yeah, album. It's a, it's a good album, and it's probably his most critically acclaimed, but there were a few before that really shaped his artistic goals as a musician. Mm-hmm. Um, his first work was an album called A Sun Came. Uh, and he developed this during his senior year at Hope College in Holland. He himself has described it as traditional pop music, medieval instrumentation with Middle Eastern inflections, tape loops, digital samples, literary vocals, manic percussion, woodwinds, sitar, amp distortions, and Arabic chants. So, like... <laughs> A the... pretty common genre. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it sounds like the millennial donut shake of... Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Except this is, this is palatable. <laughs> I think I think Audrey has a point. Um, I'm definitely not a music critic. I'm not an expert on Sufjan Stevens by any means, but it definitely seems to be one of his less focused works. Yeah, and you know, like, I've listened to it myself. I kind of tried to, I tried to go on a Sufjan journey and listen from beginning to end, and I couldn't make it through this album. Not because it's bad, but because. All, I mean, it's not as broad as the rest of his. Like, most mm-hmm. of the stuff kind of started sounding really similar as you listened. Like, it really does sound really medieval. Like, it sounds like yeah. it would it Those would be like the background and... music to some period piece or something like that. And I don't know. It's not something that I can listen to for more than, like, I think, like, yeah. 15 minutes, you know? <laughs> well, and then it takes weird segues, like this three-minute track called uh, Satan Saxophones, which is literally only discordant arrangements of like eight saxophones um there's no sense to it at all right. you like, know your normal recordings <laughs> you know i see it as a way of sufjan kind of warming up to what he wanted to do in the future because yeah. all all of his works are very um amalgam of a lot of different genres and styles and theories and yeah. also ideas and i have a lot of respect for that i i'm always looking for music that sounds different and even when there's a miss like i i wouldn't even call this a miss on <laughs> sufyan's part but i'm but at least trying to do something that no one else 
is doing is really respectable to me. Um, yeah. Even when it doesn't quite hit the mark, um, I just think it's it's really, really cool. And at least he's trying. And then later he really does hit the mark of really, really mm-hmm. different and still I think so. really nice to listen to. Mm-hmm. I think so. And I, I think in another way, I think, I think that's very true. Um, in another way, he had just spent so much time learning all of this uh, stuff about classical theory, but he really liked um, more accessible, what he called lowbrow music, sort of the aim of his career um, up until Carrie and Lowell, his most recent album. He stated that he really wanted to take these uh, for lack of a better term, like highbrow concepts of classical theory and arrangement and mm. movements in music. And he wanted to present them in a way through what he called lowbrow instrumentation, the mm. banjo, the guitar, um, synthesizers. Uh, he wanted to bring that more into the realm of what is popular music now. And, and of course, you're left with something that you kind of scratch your head over. <laughs> um, uh, or sorry, isn't quite um, popular music, but isn't quite classical music. Right. But it's definitely something very unique. I really admire that, though. There's this idea that is starting to kind of um, take root in Mm. the media culture society, like among academics, that Mm. the way that culture used to be viewed was of a skyscraper where you had high culture at the very top of the skyscraper and then you'd have really Mm. low culture at the bottom of the skyscraper. And Mm. the thing that's happened over time is that we've realized that things are constantly moving because like when jazz first started being popular it was done mostly by black musicians Mm -hmm. and so it was considered very low culture but now you look at jazz and the people who listen to jazz and you look at them and you're like well you're (laughs) not listening to like twangy country music so (laughs) you know it's it's considered very high culture so we will probably be talking about a lot of genres on this podcast listeners but we will never talk about country um i just want to i want to just give that disclaimer neither of us like country sufjan chose every genre but country yeah (laughs) except country Um, anyway, so yeah. like the the way that the model is kind of shaping into is more of a web where mm. you it, it's more it's less vertical and it's more just kind of a plane of like, no, yeah. like there's stuff over here and then there's stuff over here. And sometimes they intersect and sometimes they connect and you like certain things in certain parts of the web. And yeah. I, I think that a lot of it has to do with the fact that we do have artists like Sufjan mm. who are trying to get rid of those separations. Mm. Yeah, just the idea of genre is is really outdated. Yeah. Um, but based on the opinion of multiple artists, I, mean, I think a lot of modern uh, music movements like hip-hop are responsible for that. Um, hip-hop is really the fusion of so many different genres. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really is sort of leveling that playing field. People don't have to think like I'm writing a folk song. I can't throw in a synth. You know? Right, that, right. You should be, anymore. and that, that's that's very descriptive of your own music, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> it's the it's the closest example at hand I could. I yeah, could yeah. No, on. I like it. It's 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 accurate though. It's perfect. <laughs> um, but yeah, Sun came definitely got him on the radar of a lot of critics. Although they'll agree that it wasn't a very focused work. Um, it definitely wasn't the height of potential this guy could reach. It just kind of put him on the radar. Like, wow, this guy's got a wide grasp of musical theory across all these different styles. 
yeah. um, from all these different parts of the world. And he, he actually accurately represented them here, even if they're fractured on this album. And that's the mark of a pretty gifted musician. On top of that, he played almost all the physical instruments himself. Um, he's a very skilled multi-instrumentalist, and Carmen's already described this thing's got pipe and keys and, I don't know, just so many archaic mm-hmm. instruments that people don't even know how to play anymore. Right. Um, after a son came, he was definitely on the radar. Uh, during his, and that was again during his time at Hope College in, in Holland, when he went to the new school in New York City, um, during his senior year there, he decided to embark on another song cycle. This is uh, after he gave up on his novel. He still wanted to create a big, far-reaching work. And he decided to write a song cycle based on the signs of the Chinese Zodiac. Um, it is a purely electronica record, and it's very dense, and it's very experimental. And honestly, it's, uh, it's there are some Sufjan fans that swear by this record. I had a very difficult time getting into it, and it's... It is I, I bizarre. Class, there are a few yeah. <laughs> songs I really, really like, but it is so weird. It's bizarre, <laughs> and there's not really... Uh, I mean, because in, in one song, he's, he's singing about the year of the rat. That song sounds very That's my frenzied. One. Yeah, it's awesome. It sounds very frenzied and desperate, and you feel like a rat like running away in fear from this giant world where everything's after you and you're always hungry. <laughs> and, then, and then he sings about the year of the monkey, and uh, that is a song that sounds like playful with these hints of violence throughout, and oh. it's always on the edge of like spilling over into something more chaotic and... He does a very good job of analyzing those things, but after minute four, I've gotten the message and I'd like to move on. Yeah, <laughs> is, yeah. Is my thoughts on Enjoy Your Rabbit. Um, and that kind of echoes a lot of critics as well. Again, it, it put him on the map further. Like This guy just made a album based on medieval and pop, um, and now he's making a purely electronic album based on the Chinese Zodiac. He, mm-hmm. he just seems to be shedding all rules about what directions your music can take, you know? Um, so many artists, they publish their first work and their following work is defined by the reception of that work. If it worked once, then mm-hmm. let's keep doing that. But, right. uh, always defied that. And I think that's, what's very never, important. Yeah. About he never does the same thing twice, even if you want him to. No. no, he really doesn't. Like the closest you can come is probably his next two records. Yeah. I was about to say, yep. Michigan and Illinois, but, but they still have stark differences. And I, I think you'll notice. So um, um, these next two albums, I'm not sure if you're, I'm not sure if you're going to mention it, but he kind of embarked on a impossible quest to write a full album for each of the 50 states in the U.S. Whoa! <laughs> um, and he didn't quite get there, did he? But like he, <laughs> no, he did not. I, I mean, I wonder if he, I wonder if he like announced that he was going to do that without realizing it or just announced it and knew he couldn't do it, but didn't really care that he wouldn't finish it. You know, I think, yeah. Um, I just I wanted, I didn't know if you were going to say that. I just wanted that to, I wanted that to be out there. It was, a. I did want to bring it up. Yeah. It's because I mean, it was something that um, <laughs> after he announced it, obviously a lot of people, I mean, said that sounds very ambitious. <laughs> um, yep. Yeah. Good, good you luck know that with there that. There are, 50 states yeah. in the United <laughs> States, right? <laughs> well, and especially considering that his last entry in that series was Illinois, which is an 80-plus minute album. I mean, oh yeah, it took years to yeah. produce. It's not a realistic goal. He, he later said that it was a publicity move. I don't think that's true. Illinois got so much critical acclaim, he didn't need publicity beyond that point. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, Michigan, though. Uh, Michigan was the first foray he made into like true chamber pop. 
which is, you know, uh, getting your brass and your, your orchestra to sit down together and make pop music with it. Um, accompanied by guitar and banjo and it it's a very awesome record it definitely has its roots more in folk than in pop but it still has that element of pop and listenability that is honestly at that point um, was really lacking from most uh, folk music Um, uh, I I really consider it sort of a foundational record in that it opened the doors to how how poppy and stick in your what's the term for a tune that sticks in your head um memorable memorable yeah. yeah i mean earworms another good earworm earworms yeah yeah um in contemporary folk at that time there weren't a lot of earworms uh melodies that just got stuck in your head that's something that pop does and has always done very well mm-hmm. and sufjan embraced that he just didn't want to uh expense with the you know what he called the highbrow element which was that chamber pop influence um mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, Michigan was even more interesting thematically, I think. It was his home state, and he decided he want to, wanted to write an album about its history. And the way he does that, to me, is just really as inspiring as an artist. He always finds a way to bring it to personal experiences he's had. Like where he's singing about Holland, Michigan. It wasn't a song just about his trips to Holland to start school or uh, trips to Holland to see his family, but it was a song uh, about his mother and and how their relationship was already fracturing at that point. And a lot of those drives, you know, through scenic Michigan had to do with his mom. Uh, But you still learn so much about the state and the place um, and and himself at the same time. That's that's what Carmen meant earlier by sort of a dual narrative. Mm. Uh, Sufjan Mm. Stevens very seldom says one thing without it meaning two or three things. Um, yeah, and that's why it's always hard. And it's not like this is an important part of his music, but it's always hard to determine um, his his sexuality. Um, and it's mm-hmm. he. I think he leaves it intentionally ambiguous because totally. he mentions men and women, but he never gets into it quite enough for you to get a solid idea of what it is. Because because if you you know for one thing where you you have proof like oh it's it's this way you're like no that's not how it should be interpreted it's it's, it's a it completely later. different he means a completely different thing but you can't be totally sure and i i like that about it because it, it's a it's a part of his life that he is you know important enough to him to sing about but not important enough to make it clear to his fans you know yeah, yeah. well and, and also and that comes down to his definition of art as well we won't get into this until uh, into detail until we talk about Carrie and Lowell but he he said often in interviews that that was the first time he didn't feel like he was engaged in an art project he was just talking about himself uh, mm-hmm. to Sufjan Stevens art is taking these personal experiences and the feelings they induce and um, presenting them in a way that that draws questions from the audience. Nothing's right. obvious. You have to think about it um, to arrive to whatever point he's he's trying to portray, which, I mean, and he somehow manages to do that while still making music that most argue is, is still pretty catchy. Um, it's definitely more expansive and sprawling than most popular listeners of music are probably looking for. Um, in pop music, but uh, you, you won't find many people that didn't find the experience rewarding sitting through one of his his big <laughs> opuses. Yeah. And I think there's definitely something very rewarding about having an album that you can sit through and just listen to from beginning to end. Mm-hmm. Because, uh, again, and I'm going to kind of go into the history of like the way that we consume media. Yeah. But when you talk about like listening to an album anymore it's generally background music Mm -hmm. gone are the days where you know friends would come over and hang out at your place while you put an album on Mm. and listened to the new led zeppelin album right that was the thing you were doing you weren't 
you weren't hanging out while listening to music. You were actively listening. Yeah. To music. Right. And so it was really important for artists. They had to be very aware of the fact that people were going to listen from beginning to end. And the album generally ended up being very cohesive as a whole. And you hear that a lot in um, just kind of taking a, a, you know, very famous example, Beatles Abbey Road. You yeah, have yeah. the first half, which is just songs, but then you have the second half, which you can't tell when one track begins and one track mm-hmm. ends. It just <laughs> goes. It's seamless. And artists don't do that anymore because now you have the radio, which plays yeah. all of the top 40s, and you want to have as many number one hits yeah. as possible. <laughs> and Man. I've expressed before how much I really love Taylor Swift's 1989 when it comes to pop albums, but it's definitely not one where the order that you listen to, it matters. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. totally. Yeah, I, I can totally see that point. I think that's pretty insightful, and that's really what music has become. It's no longer a cohesive message. Um, it's a collection of songs, and uh, they are all they all stand alone because they hope that they get sold off as singles, you know, right. and commercials mm-hmm. and and. Uh, billboard ratings uh, but yeah Sufjan's definitely never embraced that he's always uh, every album of his has been a concept work um, actually with one possible exception although I, I still think it it merits the definition of concept but we'll get into that in a moment um, Michigan definitely sort of cemented what Sufjan was going to try and do from this point forward in his career he was he was going to try to merge these highbrow orchestrations and theory with these lowbrow instruments like banjo um, and and brass and jazz instrumentation like you were talking about earlier um, Audrey that was once considered lowbrow Um, and so that sort of became his defining characteristic and went into, oh, sorry, before we move on from Michigan, one thing that just blew my mind about this album, uh, it was, it was very well received. I wouldn't say like critically acclaimed. It probably didn't reach a wide enough audience for that to happen, but it was very well received by the critics who heard it. And what's impressive about that is the album was put together with two consumer quality microphones, um, two <laughs> SM57s. I'm, I'm talking into an SM58 right now, which is pretty much the same microphone, and I got it for about 70 bucks. Um, he put it all together with those consumer microphones and then one um, higher quality mic for vocals, the, uh, the AKG C100. But uh, he also recorded it at a much lower sample rate than pretty much any studio music you've ever heard. He intentionally went very lo-fi with it, And I think that was very important to the record because it sold sort of the authenticity. So many songs on Michigan are about the average like blue collar worker um, in the Upper Peninsula or someone who's been laid off in Flint um, or, yeah, his experiences with his mother, you know, going to Romulus or or to Holland. And Mm -hmm. uh, I really feel like the lo-fi brings you into what feels like a a sort of real world, you know. Um, I'm not sure how it does it, but but that was my perception. Mm. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, But uh, that really laid the groundwork and sort of the skill set he needed to engage in Illinois, which most critics would probably say is his crowning achievement, his most cohesive and like fully realized work. Yeah. I have some really, really specific memories listening to this when I had my custodial job at BYU. And Mm. I was like... (laughs) And it's so weird because now every time I listen to Illinois, I think about I think about that job and sweeping the back steps and like these really grungy like and being (laughs) being completely alone, just walking around cleaning in these kind of dingy basements, listening to Illinois, which is most of it is like, you know, super bright and 
like you said, chamber yeah. poppy and stuff, but just next to this like really lonely kind of job that I had. <laughs> so this album is really, I, I love this album. And I think my favorite on it was probably the creepiest on it, the, the <clears throat> um, John Wayne Gacy oh, one. Yeah. That is a rough song. <laughs> yeah. Um, so this album is kind of a story about the state, right? Like it's a, yeah, it's totally. a story about maybe it's, I mean, what you could say is the state's biggest hits or like its biggest, its, its biggest news yeah. stories maybe. Yeah, both really. I mean, it's about the history of Illinois more than anything else. And that definitely includes um, a lot of big deals. You know, the fact that Abraham Lincoln first successfully campaigned in Illinois, he's brought up on the album pretty frequently. Jacksonville was sort of a uh, mecca to freed slaves. Um, they would they would travel try to travel north to Jacksonville because it was a very progressive um, state. Uh, sorry, a pro- very progressive city for that time in the Union, uh, where black people could work normal jobs. For example, um, he takes probably the the biggest highlights from state history, as long uh, along with a few of the worst parts of of that state's history, and turns it into a very cohesive exploration of those themes. And again, what I think makes it a true Sufjan record is the fact that he brings in all that historiosity, which is a mm-hmm. word. I dare you to challenge you. <laughs> it is a word. <laughs> it is a word. He brings in all this historicity, um, but he merges it with his own personal experiences again. Like uh, Predatory Wasp with the Palisades is out to get us. It's something that happened to him in Illinois. And that song also talks about a lot of the natural beauty of Illinois, but it also talks about his personal experience going to this Methodist summer camp and how both those factors influenced who he was going to become, you know, mm-hmm. both the experience and the setting. Yeah, and that's a really kind of beautiful concept to me because when we talk about people who make art, there tends to be this this focus on how you can portray one or two feelings mm. or romanticizing an idea, whether it's, you know, a good idea like, oh, here's like ultimate happiness or here's what depression looks like. Yeah. And I like this idea and I think that it's kind of unique to music. Uh, that you can express both the good and the bad aspects of something and oh, recognize yeah. that mm. they're, it's the bad things that make the beautiful things uh-huh. good. Oh, me and Carmen have had lots of conversations about that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, man. And that, that John Wayne Gacy song, like, I don't want to even, I don't even want to suggest it because it really <laughs> is very, very disturbing and not song. really fun to listen to, but it is one of the most beautiful like melodies Mm. and it's just so haunting and sad but it's about something so ugly but it's just so central to illinois history like everyone there was just so affected by that and it's oh my gosh it's such a good song and he takes it a step further i really feel like that song is about the fact that john wayne gacy started off like everybody else like it it opens up with him saying uh his mother was a no his father was a drinker his mother cried in bed um folding john wayne's t-shirts when the swing set hit his head when john wayne gacy was younger there was an accident and he got knocked out by a swing set hitting him and a lot of people close to him reported that um he was different from that point forward yeah and, and so uh, definitely and, latched onto that idea yeah and michael it reminds me of that ockerville song um, the, the other really creepy one about oh, the other murder where, yeah, where yeah. he says, um, evil don't look like anything. It's everyone has the yeah. potential. Um, everyone has the potential to go one way or another. And yeah. some, some things are out of your control. Like if, if, if that's true about John Wayne Gacy, you know, I think, uh, I think mental capacities or lack mm. thereof, um, can influence someone 
um, maybe, the- you know, outside of what they would usually, you know, who they really yeah. are. But it's just it, in reality, every evil isn't like this far away thing that, you know, you don't ever have to encounter in it's your in life your to hear stories about. It's it's ne- it's next yeah. door. It's your neighbors, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think you're exactly right. I, I think he brings that up specifically to add some ambiguity to this. Like, oh, yeah. was he always this way or or did something happen externally that caused it? But either way, he ends the song, no matter how you interpret that, either way, he ends the song with the line, look beneath the floorboards for the secrets I have hid. Um yeah. No one gets through life innocent. It's just the extent of um, <laughs> of the extent of it. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. I guess, uh, and it's just it really explores what what could be a, fi- a far finer line than we're willing to like admit. Yeah. Uh, between yeah, what what makes a normal person and what makes a serial killer. Yeah. It's very interesting. Well, this has been really, really cheerful. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on, huh? <laughs> I do want to say this is uh, actually the first album that I listened to when Carmen introduced me to Sufjan. Mm. And I really liked, out of everything on it, I really liked the like big brass band elements to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's and great. The World's Fair one, the one about the World's yeah. Fair is so my... much fun. It's so much fun. And I... I think that it makes it very accessible because if it weren't for those elements i probably would have been like oh <laughs> this is a lot yeah this uh, is a lot music to take about in. the history of a of a state like most people don't just read the state histories <laughs> when right. they have spare time you right know? but this just gives you just a huge comp like it yeah and it's just it's dancey too the music is well most of it is it's it's yeah. just super dancey and yeah like audrey said it accessible is. It is. Um, it really is. And, and the one thing I want to really pull out of this discussion of Illinois is, is the fact that I feel like it really, for the first time, defined Sufjan Stevens as someone that could work so well with dual narrative. Yeah. Uh, the song that really sticks in my mind for that reason is Sears Tower, which in one sense is about the Sears Tower in Chicago. and In another sense, it's about the Tower of Babylon. Um, and in another sense, it's about Sufjan Stevens' own spirituality and the relationship he has with, with God. Sometimes he feels like the builder of the Tower of Babel who puts in all this work and, and God turns his back on him. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very interesting stuff, and I think, uh, I think it really established him as someone that could work with what I consider kind of a new medium as far as narrative style goes. And I thought it was very, yeah, very defining for him. Yeah, the album was very critically acclaimed. It definitely established Sufjan Stevens as a major player, at least in the world of, um, I don't know, for lack of a better word, like avant-garde pop. (laughs) Critics loved him. Critics loved him. He still didn't find a lot of mainstream success outside of a few singles from that album, which, if you guys have listened, are probably the most digestible pieces on the album. Mm -hmm. Um, Kashmir, Pulaski Day, Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's his work after Illinois that, um, you know, Carmen's already told you that I can, I mean, I try to be a musician, I guess I'll put it that way. He is a musician. <laughs> Did you make music? Yes. Yes. You're a musician. Compared to Sufjan's, I don't know. But what, what got me over the moon for Sufjan's process is what happened after Illinois. He finally established himself as sort of a heavyweight contender in the world of American music, someone that was setting new trends and new styles and new directions. And for a while, he didn't do anything with that. Um, And if you uh, look up interviews from this time period, he talks about his growing dissatisfaction with his sort of music, his sonic palette. You know, he was Mm -hmm. sick of the banjo. He was getting sick of guitar. He was getting sick of chamber pop. Um, And to sort of, in my opinion, to sort of exercise this 
from his system. Uh, he decided that he wanted to become more impulsive and subconsciously driven in his music. Uh, with Illinois, with Michigan, even with A Sun Came and, and with uh, Year of the Rabbit, he had a very defined goal for each of his albums. They were selling a very defined message and theme. But for his EP, uh, which is like an album-length EP called All the Lighted <laughs> People, he threw all of his themes out the window and just sat down and started writing music and started writing his lyrics the same way. And you end up with something that's definitely still chamber pop-ish because he really was still working with that same sonic palette, but he was using it in very new ways, combining it a lot with electronic elements. There's one song, <laughs> my favorite song from this uh, song cycle is uh, From the Mouth of Gabriel. And almost the entire arrangement is composed of chimes and bells. Um, yeah, and listening to it too, um, the it's really hard to follow a a steady beat because it's not it's not super easy to make like to get bells or chimes or other you know weird instruments <laughs> like that to kind of like I don't even know how to say what I'm saying but it's I, I don't even want to say it's messy but the, the whole it's sound of messy. it sounds really <laughs> yeah. a little muddled yeah you know I think and I think it's intentional totally um, yeah and and it's the result of man what if I did this to write a song and instead of questioning that he just pursued it because yeah. it was his impulse. That's that, um, that, that reminds me of Kanye, too, honestly. Oh, a hunt, yeah. I, I find so many parallels between... It's a pretty common recurring question in our Sufjan on, on when is Sufjan and Kanye going to collaborate. I <laughs> will cry. I will... Tears <laughs> will... Oh, my gosh. That That'd would be, be so exciting. That would be an interesting duo to see at work. I don't think they could work together. I think... I think one of them would kill the other. <laughs> oh, wow. I'm serious. I cannot Maybe. imagine someone like Sufjan working in a, in the same room with Kanye and vice versa. Like, I think they have the same artistic goals, but they mm. express them so differently. Well, and Kanye is almost um, defined by his ego and his self-perception, whereas Sufjan is more defined by his his need to like distance himself from himself. In yeah, his music. exactly. He has to he has to talk about himself through mythology, where Kanye West just gets straight to the point. <laughs> but uh, but what, what I mean, but Sufjan, I mean, you know, there is a parallel there. This album, All Delighted People, at once feels a lot more personal because he's not singing about how this happened to him in relation to how it how it's those themes are echoed in like a piece of Illinois history. He just mm -hmm. sings about the experience. Um, the Owl and the Tanager is obviously a song about one of his first experiences with a serious relationship and the feelings of betrayal. Um, but what's amazing is he 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 provokes those feelings without being very specific. Um, Sufjan definitely paints with a really wide brush. He favors image over detail, um, if that makes any sense. Sure. Mm -hmm. But yeah, well, and I because. I'm multitasking here, so I apologize if you <laughs> no were like, what is she looking up? <laughs> I'm actually looking up the lyrics, too, from the mouth of Gabriel, and, like, oh, like it's just so beautiful, and, like, and like nothing I'm trying else really hard seen? not to, like, yeah, I'm trying really hard, like, not to cry here, because... It's beautiful. It's so beautiful. You, the, one, the one that always gets me is, you probably should, but I won't let you get away, or run away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. The yeah, the the the, the, the <laughs> part that made me 
almost start to cry was the <laughs> part where he says, your face has changed. I hardly know who you are at this time and what a mess I've made of you. You oh. probably would, but I won't let you run away. You probably should, but I won't let you run away this time. Hmm. And it's I, just... I'm getting weepy out <laughs> It evokes that feeling of like, I... I done goofed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like I did but, it, but just pl- I'm I, uh, I I still have to have you. Like <laughs> yeah. No, I, I'm glad you saw that aspect, Audrey, because that became a a pretty big theme of his next two major works. Uh, he often describes when he does sing about his own personal love life, he describes himself as very possessive and almost almost like a, a, unintentionally abusive of his partner, just in how much he demands of their time and their attention. Um, he seems to be a very needy guy, <laughs> mm-hmm. is what that equates to. And, and it's definitely a theme that pops up a lot in his next choice, which I'm most excited to talk about. Just a, a bit more about All Delighted People. Um, it was it was pretty critically well-received, um, but it was also kind of like the mark of his first work. Uh, people didn't find much focus or direction in it. And Sufjan himself, after writing that song cycle, decided that he liked he liked the music that he could produce by accessing trying or rather trying to access his subconscious directly and to rely more on impulsion than uh, than actually clearly defined themes. He really liked that aspect, but he didn't like the lack of focus that it caused. Hmm. So he started searching for experiences outside of his own life that he could use to sort of direct this. Uh, subconscious energy and writing style too. And that produced uh, what I think is his most groundbreaking and original work, Age of Odds. Um, And that's just my opinion. It's a pretty divisive record. Uh, But before I get into like the sonic palette that he used here and and even his process, I want to talk about this guy named Royal Robertson that (sighs) Sufjan Stevens decided to use. Sufjan said that he was using Royal Robertson as a foil. Basically, Sufjan would write impulsively like he did on all delighted people and those experiences would i uh, sorry those impulsive writings would obviously tend towards you know personal aspects and personal experience but he decided to write them as if they were happening to royal robertson so in that way royal robertson is a foil and royal robertson was a guy who was diagnosed with schizophrenia um <laughs> I'm sorry. I get weepy thinking about Royal Robertson. Yeah, I, it's uh, <laughs> it's really sad. Ugh, I care too much about Sufjan's music. That's exactly why we invited you. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Royal Robertson uh, was a actually a sign painter, um, but he was also an artist um, who painted these very religious, sort of apocalyptic visions that he received um, that he believed were from God. Uh, later, he was diagnosed with schizophrenia, but he wasn't able to let that delusion go that he was being directly um, influenced by God and receiving prophecies Audrey, for the. You should be. You should look up some of his art here while he's okay. talking about this. It's outstanding. It's it's really it's amazing art, but it's also you'll notice very kind of cringy at times. So Royal Robertson um, was suffering these delusions that he thought were direct signs from God, and he saw himself as a prophet appointed by God to lead his family through what he anticipated to be a, a very difficult time since he was receiving visions about it. Um, and uh, at first his family, I mean, they were a very religious family, very Christian, and uh, they they thought this was special. They thought he was a prophet as well. But Pretty soon, his visions got a lot more violent and apocalyptic. He started being um, incredibly 
uh, suspicious of his wife. He thought that she was sleeping around on him a lot and cheating on him incessantly. He thought his kids were out to get him. Um, they actually had to remove themselves from the home uh, one night because Royal Robertson uh, was threatening his wife and children with a knife. Um, I see why Sufjan was attracted to it because the guy's not very in control of himself. Yeah. Um, anyway, so he was very schizophrenic, and that caused all that uh, f- breakdown of his familial structure. He was left very alone. He started becoming... I mean, he pretty much gave himself wholly to his delusions yeah. is what happened. And he... Uh, became very misogynistic in remembering his wife. And all that shows up in his work. During one of his concerts, Sufjan tried to explain what drew, what drew him to Royal Robertson. And he started talking about how crazy the guy was and schizophrenic. And his audience starts laughing and chuckling. But Sufjan is so serious. Yeah. Because he sees how sad it is. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. And, you know, you can hear it, um, you know, you can obviously hear it through the the lyrics in this album, Age of Odds. You can hear the kind of weird, just the weird disconnect that Royal Robertson would have had with the out, with the external world. But you can hear it musically as well. The album starts out and ends with like this really, really beautiful, simple acoustic guitar and, and vocals. Um, and it kind of, and the rest of the album is just full of this crazy electronic symphony, really, really stressful. But every now and then there will be just like a half a minute of that really, really peaceful acoustic guitar, just kind of randomly coming in. And then the electronics will sneak in again. And I always thought that the really kind of scary sounding beepy sounds were kind of representative of Royal Robertson's, um, schizophrenia and the breaks from that were his kind of like his moments of sanity where he's like clarity yeah and there's this there's this um particular song i want to be well where like he just over and over again is just like pleading just saying i want to be well i want to be well and then just slowly the the electronic comes sneaking back in because you know he has this moment of clarity where he's like i realize the kind of person i am and what i'm doing and i want to be well but it's it's coming back like it's 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 starting to seep in again. I can't stop it, and I'm I'm going crazy again. It's really yeah. You really hit the nail sad. on the head. Hundred percent. I think you hit the nail on the head, and I think it's important. The album opens with that really beautiful and simple mm-hmm. melody and that acoustic guitar because it shows what his life was before all that. Yeah. He sings about seeing his lover come through the door and how happy it makes him. I don't know. I didn't think I'd get weepy. I talking about Age of Oz. I really do apologize. This is this is Michael's favorite album. In fact, it's like one of the yeah. first things that we super super bonded over it was my first um birthday gift to him and when he told me how special it was to him i was like oh let's listen to it he's like um well no like maybe (laughs) maybe not now you know and i I just kind of stopped bringing it up but when we when we finally decided to listen to it we had to just we not had to but you know we lied on the bed we had our separate headphones and we turned the lights off and we just let it play because it he really really wanted to make sure that i gave it (laughs) the attention it deserved because it's not a, it's, it's not a put on the background and kind of listen to it. It's a listen to this story yeah, kind of thing. Yeah. And it is totally. a wild, wild story. It right. Is. Yeah. yeah. And I, I have also listened to this album because when you recommended Sufjan to me, mm-hmm. you recommended age of odds in Illinois. Mm-hmm. And so I listened to age of odds and I got through it and I realized that I had made a mistake because I had done that thing yeah. where I mm-hmm. put it on in the background and I ended up kind of emerging from the other side of listening to it, feeling like I 
had missed something and I couldn't quite put my mm-hmm. finger on it, but I was like, no, like I didn't I give it the feel yeah. like the effect was there. And yeah. there's some part of my subconscious mind that is very much interested in paying more attention right. to it, but I did uh, not give it the attention it deserves. Right, so. it deserves a lot of attention. Addie, um, that we used to work with, Audrey liked it a lot as well. In fact, mm-hmm. I think she's a, I think she's a big Sufjan fan now, and yeah. um, because of that album, well, I. Well, you know, and obviously there's such a thing as taste. You know? Yeah, yeah, maybe, sure. Maybe if your thing just isn't brass, then no matter how staggering. Uh, you know, Illinois is, it, it's not going to do it for you because right. you don't like brass. You if know? your thing isn't Dr. Seuss, um, trippy electronica, <laughs> then you're probably <laughs> not going to like this. Not work. <laughs> yeah. I, but I think, uh, you know, um, it, there's definitely the ability to entertain an idea without accepting it. It's kind of the mark of a wise person. Some philosopher, Socrates or something said that. Aristotle. And, Aristotle. Thank you. I had, uh, yeah, I, I brought that quote up though, because I, I mean, a lot of critics kind of maybe fall on your side of the fence, Audrey, where they can tell there's something special about it, but it just doesn't do it for them. I think mm-hmm. that's totally understandable. Um, what I really liked about it is obviously the themes and the narrative he chose to engage in are something I think wholly unique. Uh, but on top of that is the way he uses his electronic instrumentation to sort of sonically symbolize schizophrenia. Right. Like it sounds like the whole album is very anxiety inducing. It sounds like things are kind of falling apart and going wrong for almost the entire time, except for those moments of clarity that Carmen talked about mm-hmm. um, that serve as sort of counterpoints and juxtapositions for that. Um, and uh, what's amazing to me is the way he was able to blend. And, and in my opinion, this is a foundational record as well, whose effects weren't even felt for like five to six years after the record was released. Uh, I think it's foundational in the way that it blends organic instrumentation, you know, actually recording a violin part, trombones, brass sections, and bringing them into almost a wholly electronic world. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know, in some ways that, I mean, some critics have theorized that symbolizes the real world intruding on Robert's paranoia and the schizophrenia. Um, and it's very interesting. It's a very... It's just a very interesting record. Right. <laughs> very yeah. interesting. So um, I think at the end of the day, what Age of Odds is, is an album that explores themes of isolation, um, desperation, even suicidal thoughts, fracturing relationships. Um, he sings a bit about his homosexual tendencies in this album. At least that's what how a lot of artists interpret it. So there's a lot of sexual tension in the album as well. And the most defining characteristic to me is this almost like slave and master relationship that uh, Royal seems to have to a higher power. And maybe yeah. that's Royal and Sufjan. You know, the, the lines start to blur so much on that record. And, and one of the most popular songs from it, Vesuvius, uh, he starts saying his own name directly. Sufjan, follow your heart, follow the whatever. Um, yeah, and, it's it, is he uh, when is he talking about himself and when is he talking about mm. royal? And I think that's mm. the trick to this album is yeah. I think he's singing about himself the whole time. He, it's just coming from the perspective of how Royal of, Robertson would uh, Roy, handle. Yeah, that's that's what makes it so confusing for me. Yeah, and that's what makes it like autobiographical in two senses. It's about Royal and it's about Sufjan. Mm. I love um, it. Very interesting. So definitely an album that uh, if any listeners of this want to get into, just make sure you turn the lights off, get a good pair of headphones, do nothing but listen to that song, that album, yeah. and maybe you'll pull something cool out of it. Um, on to his most recent work. Uh, Sufjan's latest album is called Carrie and Lowell. Uh, 
And this was a huge departure from the Sufyan of, you know, even back in the Michigan days. He always tended towards grand and expansive orchestrations and huge themes. Uh, But in 2012, this is two years after Age of Odds, his mother died, um, Carrie. We've already talked a bit about Carrie, how she suffered from schizophrenia herself, which honestly could have been one of the things that that drew Sufyan to Royal Robertson in an attempt to further understand his mother. Um, mm-hmm. But her death seemed to really shake Sufyan up. And uh, to me, the album seems to convey that the reason for that is because he still didn't know what to make of his mother. There was so yeah. much pain associated there, um, but so much love, too, because you can't get out of this world without loving the person who brought you into it. Um, yeah. um, if there were any suggestions I could give to the listeners, it would be to either listen to Age of Odds or this one, because both have made me like openly weep for very, <laughs> very different reasons. Um, yeah, this one, this one is full of a lot of really, like Michael said, painful nostalgia and, uh, um, yeah. it's, it's really good. I think this was his more... I think this was his more um, commercially popular one, too, huh? I would say it's his most commercially successful. Yeah. Um, And a lot of that has to do with his simplicity and arrangement. Mm -hmm. He kind of threw his his heady, highbrow concepts out the window, and he's made a very Paul Simon-esque folk album. Hmm. Um, Very simple finger-picked guitar, very simple synth uh, tones that are included, but also sound very organic and not overtly electronic. Um, everything is just kind of reduced to its simplest form. And I, I think the reason for that is, you know, in interviews, Sufjan's stated about this record, this this is the first time I haven't been making an art project. This is just my life. He just sat down and decided not to put himself through any filters. Yeah. You know, you don't have to ask questions when you when you listen to Carrie and Lowell. He's singing straight to you. Yeah. And it is it's painful to listen to at times. It is really painful. You know, um, my, one of my favorite interpretations of the record is that it actually can uh, be used as a prayer cycle. Oh. Um, it's very much about redemption, not even just personal redemption, but uh, the redemption of people you love who are flawed. The redemption of them in your mind so that they can continue to be a source of love and guidance, even though they were such flawed individuals. Yeah. Wow. Um, he sings a lot about the cross. Uh he sings a lot about how his relationship with his mother both drove him to spirituality as a way to cope, um, but also drove him to the, a lot of the same bad habits, you know, dependence on uh, substances and uh, and problems with alcoholism and drug use. Um, yeah. And the album is totally about how, like, just how can you take um, a relationship that was so full of ugliness and what beauty can you pull out of it? Yeah, and it really is full of so much beauty. Um, I think particularly the song, The Fourth of July, isn't that like the song about when his mother died? Yeah, that one's about the actual death of his mother that apparently happened on the Fourth of July. He sings about seeing her in their hospital bed and how that was such a weird experience because like the one thing that she had always been was um (laughs) physically strong and always able to do the things that she wanted to do whether that's leaving them at a video store or running off with another man and cheating on lowell um but this is the first time he saw her like brought low yeah you know so a very powerful song i think the summation of that record is probably somewhere in john my beloved probably yeah Sufjan Stevens talks a lot about how his spirituality is Christian in focus, and he defines himself as Christian, but that his relationship with God has never, ever been static. 
I think the lyrics to John, my beloved are probably in my top five favorite Sufjan lyrics. <laughs> yeah. Audrey, if you wanted to, to read some, uh, <laughs> some tear inducing lyrics again, you could read that one. He, <laughs> He seems to be. You know, we're talking. just all gonna cry at the end of this. <laughs> That's what Sufjan does. Sufjan makes people cry. Um, but John, my beloved, I think is very much about coming face to face with the fact that his idea of who his savior was um, was wrong. Um, he had kind of seen him as someone that would save him from adversity if he did everything that was right, but that wasn't the case. Like he continued living the most spiritual life he knew how to, and these horrible things kept happening to him. Um, but, uh, at the, in the same song though, he talks about how, uh, just because something is different doesn't mean it's dead. It can always be reborn as something new. Uh, and I think that's an important song on that record because it sort of symbolizes the fact that you can turn these bad experiences into something that still adds value to your life, whether it's through a lesson learned or through a changed perspective. Very cool. I always really appreciate when you can feel an artist's honesty come through um, in in their work, because I have a really hard time kind of empathizing with kind of what you would call like highbrow or complicated mm. forms of art. And it's something that I've constantly been aware of and been working on. And I don't know if it's, I don't know, maybe I'm not Me empathetic too. enough, I mean... or maybe I'm too empathetic and I have that kind of BS meter of like, okay, <laughs> but like, really, are mm. you actually? And so, yeah, yeah, looking at these lyrics, they really are just like so They're, honest. Yeah. And I can see oh, so how honest. people would want to connect with this stranger, because for all intents and purposes, Sufjan is a complete stranger to us. Yeah. He has no idea that we exist. Yeah. And yet he's coming through and he's connecting to people on such a very primal level yeah. saying, hey, Personal here's these way. human emotions that I have that I am willing to share with people. Yeah. And I admire that honesty and I admire that willingness to like not sugarcoat it just to be like, yeah, you know, I want to sell this. Yeah. yeah this and I think and that's not. Yeah, I, I, I think I can say honestly that selling his music has never been Sufjan's um, goal. Um, I mean, I it's so. always really nice when it happens, but I think, I think most people, most, no, most listeners can tell when artists are being sincere, when they're like mm -hmm. really, really putting their heart out for just like, you know, people to look at and gawk at and stuff. And that is yeah. really, really respectable. You know, I mean, I, I don't know if you can think of any music or albums that you love that wasn't representative of an artist process of transformation. Something happened to them and they're writing about what it caused in their life, what what changes they made in response to it or how it affected them as an individual. I'm thinking about so, Kanye again. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, yeah, and I want to talk about Kanye too and how he's kind of been, I, I feel anyway that he's been inspired by Sufjan. Oh, yeah. I, I feel like we got to put the disclaimer somewhere in here that a lot of this is my own interpretation. Uh, anything fact-based, I've pulled, you know, from credible sources. But um, yeah, as far as interpretations of what his songs mean and stuff, that's that's really my my take on this, um, as well as some critics, I suppose. To me, what makes an artist great is someone who is able to kind of invoke the feeling that an experience caused rather than the specifics of that feel uh, of that experience. Mm -hmm. uh, that's what connects people to music, you know, like someone might get sad for different reasons than you. But if they sing about the feeling of sadness, that's something you can connect with because everyone's been sad. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that's why Sufjan Stevens was always drawn to allegory 
in his own personal experiences because these myths that he draws on and these religious um, the the religious history and the state history they're all human stories and human stories and experience are always tied to the emotions they cause um, and I think that a big criticism of Sufyan is that when you go so when you take uh, you know the simple feeling that you're trying to communicate and dress it up um, in such an expansive way, you run the risk of losing that. And I, I think that's a valid criticism of his earlier work that was so, you know, like we've talked, said highbrow and sort of heady. Um, and I, I think that's a genuine criticism. Uh, but I also think it's music that isn't meant to be listened to in the background. It's definitely music that's meant to have your, your entire attention. Um, mm-hmm. the, I kind of think of it as, uh, I think of a lot of musicals I like. A lot of those songs don't go well in the background, but if you if you're watching the play and you see them in the context of a whole, they're kind of indispensable um, to what it, to what the musical is trying to portray. Um, anyway, as a uh, as a fan of Sufjan, as a longtime fan of Sufjan, when Carrie and Lowell came out, it was really really refreshing because we had I don't know me and every other Sufjan fan had only ever gotten to know him through a filter through the history mm-hmm. of Illinois or whatever, but this was the first time he was just singing about himself, so that was that was really refreshing. Um, but yeah, before we run out of time, I want to talk about how Sufjan Stevens, um, at least in my opinion, how he's sort of influenced and uh, helped shape popular music. Um, a lot of his sort of, I don't know what you'd call them, tentpole albums like Illinois, like Michigan, like Age of Odds, they set trends in music that wouldn't even be felt for a few years. Like in the, in the wake of Illinois, we had artists like um, Iron and Wine rise to popularity, artists like even just folk rock, like The Shins. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of contemporary folk was influenced by his induction of other genres. Uh, you know, folk doesn't have to be this thing on guitar. And, and, and of course, this had been done before. But Illinois, I, I struggle to think of a more cohesive work that inducted this philosophy mm-hmm. into the world of folk. And that's definitely influenced the folk that we have heard in its wake. You won't find many folk artists today that don't say they love Illinois or love Michigan. Mm-hmm. Um, Age of Odds. Um, Age of Odds was one that was more divisive when it was released because it was such a departure from his last work. Um, a lot of critics loved it. A lot of critics hated it. And a lot of his fans hated it. <laughs> um, a lot of his fans loved it. Um, I see the influence of that, though, just in the past three or four years creeping into popular music. This album was released in 2010. Um, and I'm thinking of like the 2015 Grammy performance that Kendrick Lamar gave in which he takes the color palette and presentation style that Sufjan used throughout his Age of Odds tour. Lots of black light, lots of glow-in-the-dark paint. I mean, if you look at pictures of them side by side, you'd think it was the same artist at the same show. And that could be coincidence, but also on Kendrick Lamar's uh, previous album, To Pimp a Butterfly, he directly samples Sufjan Stevens' work from Age of Odds. Um, And also one of the most overlooked songs on Age of Odds, which I thought was, was interesting. Uh, Kanye West, you know, shares screenshots of his production work on his computer every once in a while. And in a few of them, in another tab in his browser, you can see he's listening to Carrie and Lowell on YouTube. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's a, he's a very informative art. He's a very informative artist for a lot of popular music today. And I, I think we'll continue to see his effects on, uh, on the changing. I mean, I almost guarantee that a lot of the folk we're going to see in the next three to four years is going to be very reduced, very simplistic, and very, very emotional in the wake of Carrie and Lowell. Yeah. 
anyway, that's my spiel on Sufjan Stevens. I think <laughs> I went a little bit over. It was fun. Thanks for having me. Yeah, really thank fun. you so much. Yeah. As always, you can check us out on Twitter. We're at Kittens and Kanye. And Instagram at Kitten Whiskers and Kanye. And I did make a post last week, like I promised for like the fourth time. And I will keep up with that. <laughs> Yeah, we definitely have a lot of uh, really interesting visuals that we can put up with uh, the art. Yeah. Oh, my. Um, oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Because I, I, I did look it up as we were going through Age of Odds. Creepy, and, isn't it? Uh, it? Yeah. Royal Robertson's work is just really interesting. <laughs> yeah. It's unique. So we'll we'll probably throw a few of those up. And so until next time, I'm Audrey Stratton. I'm Carmen Thorley. And I'm Michael Radford. And this has been Kitten Whiskers and Kanye. And I think we're going to go eat some leftover corn chowder. <laughs> yay, yay. <laughs> yay. <laughs>